and welcome to Dot to Dot, the podcast that connects the dots on how to be you with me, Fiona Merton, psychologist and author. Today I am really thrilled to be joined by Sophie Green, who I have not been stalking you, Sophie, but I do know your work. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, I'm a good friend. Well, I, I hope I'm a good friend. Giles is a good friend of mine. And you are Giles's best friend, I think. Yeah, I would say so. We literally live five minutes down the road from each other. We see each other all the time and we text all day, every day. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think that constitutes best friends. Yeah. Um, but Sophie, your work is absolutely stunning. So for people that haven't come across you, what do you do? Well, I am an artist and I paint animals primarily. Um, and yeah, I, I sort of paint in a photorealistic style. So my, my paintings look very close to real life. Uh, and I use my art to sort of inspire people and connect people with nature um, and also kind of raise awareness and money for conservation issues and try to open people's eyes to the sort of state that this planet is in and and do a little bit of good with my art. And you, I read on your website, you give 10% of all uh, your your earnings to conservation. And you also exhibited in for COP, I can't remember which one it was, last year. 26, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it started off as uh, 10%. That was kind of my my baseline um and that was 10 percent of my profits kind of went i just distributed them to conservation charities that had some meaning for me um nowadays to be honest it's probably quite a bit more than that because i kind of will often donate uh paintings to charity auctions or for charities to to sell and sometimes we'll donate prints and stuff and then um yeah, and then often I'll sort of put more money into conservation charities or this year I set up a project fund of my own. So, yeah, I um, basically sourced conservation projects that had some sort of meaning for me or s- made me excited. So, for example, one of them is for like safeguarding snow leopards in the Himalayas. And then I put 30% of all of my sales from my recent exhibition into that project fund and so that money will be funding those conservation projects or at least supporting some of the big ones so yeah it's it's kind of a sliding scale as to how much money I actually donate and um, I do try to keep track of it as well just just for myself because obviously I love what I do I'm passionate about what I do and and I want to know that my money is doing good and I want to kind of have a little bit of ownership over where that money's going and so I do kind of try to track roughly how much money is going into conservation. And I think it's also nice just for my sort of like collectors and the people that are investing in my art to know where their money is going because it's, you know, it's their money as well at the end of the day. So Absolutely. And it, I think on the one hand, it'll probably, I'm sure, feel like you can't quantify it. But on the other hand, being able to, it's some people need that. Um, and you also need to think about your own living because if you're not mm. earning money and you're not, um, you can't do what you do, which means you can't give 
Yeah, exactly. It's kind of, it's a, it's a funny one because obviously if you're in any creative industry, you would like to sort of just be constantly in that creative flow and, and doing good in the world and not really caring about finances and like sort of the business side of things. But uh, I think having kind of a little bit more ownership over the business side of things and paying attention to finances and also sort of like marketing and sales and just Every, all the other little hats that I have to wear at certain points throughout the year I think that has actually allowed me to be more creative and to do more good so for me it kind of it makes sense to try and quantify it to a certain extent um, but then there's also the stuff that you can't really quantify like the amount of people that enjoy my art and the amount of happiness that comes out of just looking at it or the amount of people that have learned a little bit more about animals and uh, or a certain species just through through my artwork and stuff like that is really just as just as rewarding for me I think and on that creative piece because I think any creative I mean I so I'm not creative like you are but I've written a couple of books they're non-fiction so they're not really very creative at all but I found actually writing them was really enjoyable but the bit I hate is the the bit after which is the marketing and the sales and the and I think artists or creatives or people who enjoy that space by virtue of that don't necessarily enjoy the other space how do you and and do you ring fence time and mental space to be able to only focus on art yeah it's a difficult one um I mean first of all I would say making anything even if it's non-fiction is cre- definitely creative. I think like a lot of people don't think about certain things as being creative, like cooking or gardening and stuff like that. But I feel like as humans, we're all innately creative. And so you know, when people say, oh, well, I'm not creative like you, I would say I'm definitely not more creative than anyone else. Um, but yeah, that it, it, it does come with some difficulties in that if you have created a thing and then you have to then sell that thing, it's really like an ongoing thing. And I think nowadays with social media and people have their own websites and their own domains and emails and and you find that you're constantly glued to your phone as well. And so the work in that sense, like the business side never stops. Like for me, it's constant. And if I'm not doing emails and admin and social media, then I'm sort of creating social media content and, um, you know, putting together draft posts or creating videos in Premiere Pro and stuff like that and you know I'm quite lucky because I actually enjoy that sort of thing like I quite enjoy the marketing side of things and the creating content and stuff like that but that often means that then I have hardly any time to actually paint anymore Um, and this is a problem that I had during the run-up to my exhibition uh, which I've just had last month And I got to the point where I was spending days and days and days just sitting at my laptop and I wasn't even didn't even have time to like leave my laptop (laughs) because every time I would send out an email, another important email would come in. And that was just like that for days. And then I realized I haven't even finished my collection yet. And, And the exhibition is like in a couple of weeks. So I really had to sort of forge out time, um, put the devices down for me, literally turning off phones and laptops is sort of a a must because I don't have the 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 self uh control to like not pick pick them up again (laughs) it's a bit of an addiction so uh yeah just sitting down in front of the easel or whatever it is sitting down to write or sitting 
in your garden to garden or sitting in the kitchen to cook whatever it is you put yourself in front of that and you kind of force yourself in the beginning and then you sort of slowly get more into the flow of it and you find yourself lost in what you're doing and then it becomes easy but often it's just getting started that's sort of like the hard bit I think and for something like you do uh, and to actually produce work for an exhibition and have a deadline is massively pressurized in particularly when it's something creative however you define creative but if we're talking about purely in an artistic sense it's not a case of oh, I've got to write a thousand words it's a case of I've got to create and paint and bring something to life off of paper in a way that I presume you well it's a silly word to actually use presume you must want to feel proud of what you create as well yeah of course it's a, it is a funny one because on the one hand you've given yourself those deadlines you've I mean I, I was the one that decided to do an exhibition at the end of the day so it's not like anyone was forcing me to do it um, and there was a few times when several of my friends sort of said to me like all of the pressure that you've put on yourself and all, all of the deadlines everything has come from you there's no outside source that's like forcing you into doing this like worst case scenario if the exhibition doesn't happen then it's fine just send an email out to everyone and say it's it's cancelled you know you lose your deposit for the gallery but it's fine the pressure's completely over but it's really hard to sort of remember that 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 is pressure that you've actually put on yourself whereas when you're working for an employee for example uh, sorry if working for an employer and you're an employee and you get sort of a deadline for a task you're supposed to do if you don't do that task then you might be in a bit of trouble but ultimately it's the employer who has all of the pressure on them so when you're self-employed as a creative you're kind of the employer and the employee <laughs> and it's a, it's a mad sort of battle in your in your head where you're kind of going back and forth with yourself and it's it's a really strange one so you kind of have to be strict with yourself to a certain extent but not let that kind of damage your you know your sort of mental health and and stress you out and stuff like that um but yeah like now it's over and I've done the exhibition I kind of look back I take a step back and and I'm like wow I, I did that I actually you know once you've sent the email out to people saying there's going to be an exhibition you kind of have to <laughs> you have to follow through and I and I did so yeah it's a great feeling but oh god the stress I can't even put into words <laughs> And a huge amount of intrinsic motivation to, to get that sort of thing underway and to want to do that. But like you say, I think we can all forget that it's self-imposed pressure. And yeah. and that doesn't mean the pressure goes away if, if you remember it, but it does help put it into a little bit of perspective, which I guess is what your friends were trying to help you with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I had a few friends sort of say, because I was getting just like worked up about it. And one of my friends was like, well, just push it back. Like, just do it, maybe do it next year. Like, you know, and they, and with all the best intention in the world, but that actually kind of spurred me on more. <laughs> so I found myself like, no, I can do this. <laughs> sort of aggressively, like, I don't need to push it back. Um, but yeah, it's a funny one. Like I knew that I wanted to do an exhibition, like an in real life exhibition. And it was important to me because I feel like since, especially since uh, the pandemic and everyone's kind of locked away in their homes and, you know, everything's done over Zoom now. No, Many people don't even need to go into the office or to work anymore. Feel like those sort of face-to-face -face interactions are quite few and far between nowadays. And especially like with the art industry, 
Um, I noticed that many artists have kind of taken a step away from doing traditional sort of exhibitions and stuff like that and are just primarily using social media to to push their work out there and it's amazing and it works and you know you can get your artwork and or books or whatever it is you can get your work seen by so many people um all over the world in such a short space of time and it's a free platform you know you you don't have to pay loads of money for a gallery because you've got your own gallery on your social media page um but then that kind of well first of all it's nice for people to be able to see your work in person and I definitely think there's a big difference between seeing a piece of art in front of you in the in the flesh kind of thing um compared to sort of seeing a picture of something on social media um but yeah also just meeting people and and letting people know that I'm a real person and I'm not just some kind of like identity on the internet and uh yeah I just found it it made a huge huge impact on my sort of career and how I view my career and yeah it was it's definitely worth it I think amazing I wish I wish I'd come um I will next time you have one if, oh, if I'm you. allowed to I don't know what your what your rules are oh absolutely um, everyone all, all is welcome <laughs> fantastic so what I'm really interested in is why so why why conservation how did that and it's also something that so many people will enjoy art at school but it can never not it can never they cannot see a way through for it to be a career so those those two questions are both quite big ones but if if we start with what what spurred you on what interests you in conservation what is it that has meant you focused all of your uh, artistic energies into that yeah it's a good question I think I'm uh in terms of my personality I think that that is just me all around I do focus on one thing and I get kind of like tunnel vision and I almost become a little bit upset why conservation so when I apparently well when I was a child, that's all I cared about was sort of animals, being outside, the natural world. That was my 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 world. My whole world was just that. I was sort of like very introvert and very um, yeah. Just I lived in my own world. I, I would be the kid that was sort of like make a beeline to um, an animal if they saw an animal in the street, and I would often get like attacked or scratched or bitten. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was just. I just loved it and then when I first started painting I I started off uh painting sort of like cats and dog you know people's pets like I was doing commissions and stuff and I knew that I wanted my artwork to make a difference in some way and so I started off by donating to more sort of like animal focused charities like the RSPCA or Dogs Trust and stuff like that um but to be honest the the direction kind of shifted slightly more towards sort of wildlife and conservation quite organically and I went from painting commissions and painting people's pets and stuff more to towards like wild animals and animals in the continent of Africa and and stuff like that and so it kind of made sense for me to then shift my ethos of my whole career over more towards sort of like protecting the natural world and and uh, conservation issues I think once you start 
uh, delving into that world, it's very obvious very quickly how much sort of trouble the planet is in at the moment and how much pressure wildlife is under at the moment. And so for me, it was a very sort of organic, um, organic sort of detour into that sort of area. Um, but in terms of animals, for me, that was what it always was. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I guess I've always kind of directed my focus into one area and that area for me has always just been animals wildlife the natural world and I've never really had an interest in doing anything else to be honest with you um I have done other bits and pieces over the years and I just have no passion for it and I procrastinate and yeah and then it just ends up being a, a big flop so yeah <laughs> and how did you come to do art um do you know what honestly I I wasn't innately gifted as an artist growing up. I did art as a child, like most children do, just sort of drawing and painting for fun. I did a bit at school. I did a bit at home. Um, my brother is a very, very gifted artist. So um, he definitely helped me a little bit with my technique and stuff growing up. Um, and then I just carried on doing it as a hobby over the years because I enjoyed it really and it wasn't until I was kind of in my mid-20s that I actually decided oh, I might do this I might try this as as like a job um, because previously I'd kind of <laughs> like most people do I thought oh it would be cool to do it but it's probably not within the realm of possibility I'm going to go and get a proper job and then I, I became a primary school teacher Oh, did you? Uh, yeah. I actually, funnily enough, I sort of worked in the film industry when I was younger, sort of from the age of 19 onwards. I, I've worked period periodically in the film and television industries. And I would say that was quite a creative industry and it was really fun and I was earning good money. And then I think my dad sort of made a comment like, when are you going to go and get a real job? <laughs> and uh, so I, for some reason, quit this like extremely well-paid job that I enjoyed and then went and became a primary school teacher because that was what I thought I would enjoy. It was what my mum did as well. And then, um, yeah, I did it. I, I went to university for three years, did it for about a year and then was like, this is not for me. Um, I didn't have any spare time to like do what I actually enjoyed, like creating and being creative and painting and stuff like that. And I think that was what kind of pushed me to to do it as a career because I didn't have the time to do it anymore. Um, and I'd had it kind of taken away from me and it was enough to sort of say, oh, no, this, this, that's terrifying. The idea of doing something I'm not 100 percent passionate about for the rest of my entire life and not doing the things that I love. I think that is like absolutely terrifying as a concept. And uh, there's many people that live like that because they don't think it's possible to live any other way because uh, society sort of tells us that that's not how it's supposed to be. So, yeah. I actually, I mean, I work with creative directors within business, not always, but sometimes, or fashion designers. And I would say that every one of them has felt like it's not what they should be doing at times. Mm. Um, and it it's hard because I think, especially if you're, I mean, your dad would have meant best for you, I'm sure. But if you have a parent making a suggestion that something isn't, what it should be or you should you should be doing something a different way we all want to live up to our parents expectations and they they only want that of us because they want the best for us but it's it's really tricky isn't it oh god it's difficult because 
yeah, we innately want to sort of please our primary caregivers and also the people that are our sort of tribe, our friends and relatives and stuff. Because, you know, tradition, you know, if you if you kind of get ostracized in any way, it could be quite damning, I think, um, or it previously used to be. And so, you know, if you've got family members and friends that all just sort of have their normal jobs, quote unquote normal, um, and do what they think society kind of expects them to do, then stepping outside of that um, kind of sphere can be really scary. I mean, I'm very lucky because I've got really, really supportive friends. Some of them are creatives as well, but the ones that aren't creatives are also just very supportive and they always listen to me and my wacky ideas and, you know, they've never, ever questioned anything that I've said that I've wanted to do. Um, But in terms of family, yeah, for me it was difficult, or maybe difficult isn't the right word, but uncomfortable because my whole family is sort of uh, teachers or firefighters or undertakers like people with very very grounded normal quote-unquote jobs um and so yeah it was it was uncomfortable and it was scary and and especially sort of giving up a regular uh reliable income to go it alone um there was definitely times when I had to sort of work out what I can and can't say to sort of certain people in my life because I knew that it might be met with resistance because whatever I was doing at the time didn't kind of line up with other people's version of reality and that's kind of all it is really it's sort of everyone has their own idea of what life is and what life should be and if someone else's idea doesn't line up with yours then that can cause some sort of friction but it's bizarre really that that's a that's a that's a thing you know that we kind of as humans innately kind of butt heads on what we should and shouldn't be doing in the world and it it's it happens in every kind of area of life like politics and religion and careers and how you how you should or shouldn't be raising your kids like it's you know everybody's different but um yeah it's uncomfortable but so worth it (laughs) definitely worth it and I think careers is a particularly difficult one because it's not like religion where you say there are moral values involved or politics where policies will impact lots and lots of people it's it's your career and I know that through my career I've seen a lot of people following the ought rather than the want to and one thing you said earlier actually you kind of freed yourself by hearing a friend say you don't have to give your exhibition and you're like no (laughs) I want to and um, I mean, it's it's slightly tangential, but I was coaching someone the other day um, who's the CEO and he wasn't 100% sure whether this is still what he wants to do. And so I said to him, right, we're going to have a session where we just think about everything else you could do, because then you'll be happier doing what you're doing. And it sounds crazy, but I think that being told that, A, there's other options, B, you need to do those other options when it's a friend sort of egging you on a little bit, probably a friend who knew you pretty well and knew that's how you were going to respond. But you've, you're very in, you've got a lot of self-awareness. So you're, you're aware of who you are, how you work, what your passions are, even what you're saying to some people to make sure you protect what you need to in order to keep your passion and energy intact and not undermined. Do you think that comes from being, you described yourself as an introvert, 
a deep thinker, someone who's observing the world and observing your place in the world and other people's reactions to you? Or do you just, or, or, I mean, it might not have a single answer, but where do you think that comes from? Do you know? Yeah, I think it's a few different things. Um, and it's certainly still grow. you know, I'm still growing in that respect. Like I would say that I am fairly sort of introspective and uh, I do sit with thoughts and I do question a lot of things. Like even with myself, I question myself just as much as I question others and stuff. Um, but that's come with with time. Like I wasn't always like that. Um, and also for me, living alone, I, I think is um, is a big one. I spend a lot of time sort of with my thoughts where often people who have sort of busy work schedules or kids might not get even the time time to do that. So I feel like I've been quite lucky in that sense. Um, I think just as a person, you know, as a kid, when I was a kid, I was um, I had uh, selective mutism, which is sort of like a, an anxiety disorder where you it manifests in an inability to speak uh, in so certain social situations or outside the family home, for example. So when I was at home, I was chatty and fine. And then as soon as I left the house, if I was sort of like a playgroup or then school after that, or uh, if I was out with my mum, I physically could not speak. And so the only option that I really had was to just listen to people and listen to what they're saying, watch how they're saying it, sort of develop a kind of um, opinions, I guess, rightly or wrongly. Um, I My selective mutism kind of lasted up until I was seven. So after that point, I kind of became a little bit more extroverted and chatty and made friends and stuff. And before that, I have sort of like occasional memories that pop up from infant school so from the age of four to seven where you know I don't really have many memories of me enjoying myself or me playing with people other children or me reading books or anything like that but I have a lot of memories of other people and what other people used to say or mannerisms that other other children used to have and stuff like that and I think because I was kind of in this world of just watching people at that point Part of that, I think, has stuck with me. And I, I do think that sometimes when I'm out and about, I kind of go into that zone a little bit um, and do kind of like watch people. And I think that has given me the ability to sort of question a little bit more kind of why people are doing why they're, what they're doing, you know, whether they're doing what they should be doing or think they should be doing or whether they're actually being kind of authentic to themselves. And then that's kind of led me to question that within myself as well. So it's a really interesting one. I think... Um, yeah, I think everyone should be working on that and doing that because it's just such a such a game changer when you kind of have these realizations like, oh, I don't actually want to be doing that or I don't want to buy these things. I'm just doing it because I think that's what society kind of expects of me. Um, but yeah, it's really fascinating. I call it in my first book. I uh, I say observe, don't react, and and it, it's hard for people to do it. And I, I'll say to people, pretend you're a detective. So you're interested in what's going on and why is that happening? And you don't know the answer to anything. So you're not forming necessary premature judgments. You're gathering information. But it sounds like because of that really, I mean, lonely experience that you had must have felt incredibly isolating when you were in those social situations, because it's not like, 
you decide not to talk it's that you can't um so you've you've it's been become part of who you are by the sounds of things this observational nature and interestingly if you refer it back to your art you're capturing the essence of something that's alive with an animal and the magic of it and to be able to do that is not just observing it as a 3d or 4d object but as something that's living and breathing and i must say i've only seen your art online but it does feel like you're with the art that you create that you if, if that's the right word it's alive it has it has a soul it has a heart really really impactful oh, thank you um and so but one other thing i'm really interested in so i can see why you would want to protect a snow leopard but what brought you to that particular animal yeah good question uh first of all so when i was sort of picking the projects for the project fund i i basically sort of chose the charities that i kind of felt more most of a connection with if i'm honest um and again this goes back to sort of my artwork and my money and like everything that, all of my energy even and my emotion that i put into my art um it's so sort of precious to me and sort of sacred in some ways that i kind of like to work with charities where I know that the money is going to be doing good. Um, I know that it's not just going to be covering overheads or, you know, <laughs> Christmas bonuses and stuff like that. And so I do sort of work with charities that I have sort of more close ties with and closer relationships with in that sense. And so I kind of reached out to a few charities that I trusted. Um, one of them, a charity called Explorers Against Extinction, um, are an amazing charity and they have a, a, a set... Um, group of projects each year um that they sort of reset at the end of each year and so uh, one of them for 2022 was the snow leopard project and there was a couple there was a snow leopard project and there was also a reforestation in borneo um and sort of protecting orangutans and stuff like that which i was also very tempted by <laughs> but i went with snow leopards in the end uh, just because i find them so elusive and and yeah we're not scientists aren't really 100% sure on how many there are out there but they know that they're kind of vulnerable and diminishing and I think particularly because climate change has had kind of an effect on their habitats as well so that was why I went with that one um and I I personally at the time didn't really know much about snow leopards either and so I thought oh it'd be a good good project to sort of like sink my teeth into um and then I created the painting stealth which is a snow leopard painting and it's sort of a snow leopard almost like walking out of the canvas <laughs> towards the uh, viewer and it was one of my most popular pieces I think most people that came to the exhibition mentioned stealth and the painting got snapped up before I'd even finished it which was which was good so yeah it ended up becoming one of my most sort of meaningful projects for me but um yeah and I sort of speak to the charity sometimes and they um have said sort of well if you manage to sort of fund this project we can p potentially get you involved and take you out there to sort of see the work that they're doing and stuff so Amazing. yeah it's exciting it's re it is really exciting but um there's just so many like elements to the natural world and all the different ecosystems that we don't even consider like another one of the projects was uh restoring seagrass around the uk which 
can then help to sort of tackle some of the main drivers of climate change and and I had never sort of considered seagrass to be that impactful in tackling climate change or even sort of keeping the marine ecosystem healthy and balanced and uh yeah when I heard about this project I was like oh yeah that one sounds really cool because you know it's local and it's impactful and it's something that not many people really think about so yeah I love your curiosity um there's a real sort of wonder and curiosity to you want to know more you want to know more and I think with conservation like you say you can well you didn't say this exactly I'm putting words into your mouth but you can never know it all there's always more to learn yes and it's extraordinary what you can learn but I've seen that painting online uh that you referred to stuff and it is absolutely amazing um do you think this might be a bit weird but do you think that connection with animals when you probably while you're observing other children as an infant, you may not have been engaging with them as closely because there was that barrier for you. Do you think animals, you felt like you could be understood and you could feel like you belonged with them? How Did, did that have any impact ever, do you think? Uh, I don't know if, so if, if that was um, like a conscious thing, uh, to be honest with you. I think because my sort of obsession almost with animals started at such a young age, I don't really remember the thought processes behind it. Um, it's kind of been... Probably weren't any, because when you're that little, it's not thought through, it's no. feelings. Exactly. You do, I think this is why children are great, because you do what feels right, um, and you're more intuitive in that sense. And so, um, yeah, for me, that you know, I used to spend all my time sort of like making dens in the garden or like trying to save like cracked eggs you do remember you know when you're a kid and you find a cracked egg and I, and it could be empty for all you know but you're like oh I need to save it and, and then the, the egg will hatch and, and then I'll have a bird as a pet and you know and stuff like that um that was just what I used to do and then I would also sort of like read animal encyclopedias and like make make little fact files and stuff and yeah I think for me it was very sort of intuitive and innate um it has been suggested to me since though a few people have asked sort of is there a connection between um you kind of wanting to be the voice of the voiceless now when you were a child you were the voiceless kind of thing um and if I'm honest I don't know Uh, it's a possibility um I just feel like I've just done my best to kind of do what feels good to me and do what feels right and for me I I'm just passionate about animals and wildlife and as you said I think it's important to acknowledge that nobody knows everything um you know no one on this planet knows absolutely everything and I certainly don't know everything um and I love to learn but at the same time because I sort of because I'm an advocate of sort of protecting the natural world and I post a lot about sort of um animals and wildlife and stuff like that I think it's important to acknowledge that I am not an expert I'm just somebody that's very passionate about it and is using my skill to make a difference and my skill just happens to be art so have you met David Attenborough no I haven't I haven't that would one one day one day (laughs) he's my hero I think you're probably hugely more likely to meet him than I ever am so I hope you do um, oh, I hope so too. <laughs> amazing. So the other thing is that you've won a lot of awards. Um, you, you're 
pretty humble. So I don't think it's probably something you want to sit and run through, but <laughs> you have won a lot of awards. Um, and I write those into the show notes and I'll put a reference to where people can find you as well. Oh, if you. they want, if anyone wants to come and actually see your art, is that, is there anywhere that it is up? Are there any places where people can see things? Uh, so at the moment, because my exhibition has literally just ended last month, so all of most of my collection is now back in the studio and kind of being shipped out to their new homes. Um, there's two pieces from the collection that I've sent out to uh, a gallery in Burford in Oxfordshire, I think, which is the uh, Cotswold Contemporary Gallery, uh, um, my, my uh, fine art publisher. So, yeah, if you happen to be in the sort of Cotswold area, then Cotswold Contemporary in Burford has got a couple of my pieces. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, what I tend to do is I, I post everything on social media. So on Instagram and Twitter, which is Sophie Green Art or Sophie Green Fine Art. Um, but then once I have a collection going, then I'll do I'll save it up for my next exhibition. So the next time someone will be able to see my full collection of artwork in a gallery will probably be 2024 um i'm aiming for possibly the summer of 2024 just because my last exhibition was obviously november cold and flu season i caught covid immediately oh. and was out of action for like half of the exhibition with covid so um oh, Sophie, yeah. That's awful. well yeah but i think at the time it was frustrating but looking back now in hindsight i'm almost like oh that was such a big lesson because I stressed myself out so much I was literally running on fumes and I was exhausted and uh, it got to the exhibition and I just sort of it's always the way I mean like I had it as a teacher as well you'd be like running on adrenaline um, and then you'd get to half term or east holidays and you get like the flu or something um, and it was the same thing I was in bed for like a week and a bit with co with really bad COVID actually it was pretty nasty um and then even when I was sort of like in the clear and could go back to the gallery I still felt really rotten and tired and I was sort of like doing interviews and oh. stuff like that I just there's a um ITV came to the studio and did like uh, to the gallery sorry and did an interview and I was like oh this is gonna be so cool to watch and then I watched it and I've lost I'm so skinny I'm really pale and my voice is very sort of um really kind of groggy and <laughs> just it was just awful I was like okay well I won't be sharing that anywhere <laughs> but um yeah no it was a good lesson like so this time uh in 2024 I'll be doing my next one sort of hopefully in the summertime and um I will be making sure that I look after my physical health a little bit better beforehand. So, yeah. Well, if you need someone to talk to about it, I'm happy to talk to you about it. Oh, thank the you. Oh, yeah, that would um, be amazing, actually. Thing is, as well, I think in England we forget how dreary the winter is and how ill everyone gets. I think mm. while we're living in the sort of summer and spring and we're kind of like merrily trotting along and enjoying ourselves and thinking, yeah, it gets cold and dark, but... Mm. we forget quite how much it impacts but us all I get really impacted by it I am a big fan of the sunshine I think I think people are different like I was talking to Giles about this in the summer because Giles and, and his wife Michelle they're like fair like fairly fair-skinned and they're like oh god we can't stand the heat <laughs> 
we, the whole family gets ill every time it's really hot so I guess Giles you won't be coming out to see me in California then oh I, I will be coming <laughs> whereabouts in California LA oh god it's all right for some isn't it Blimey. it's it's great for creative I mean it's mm. not like great for wildlife necessarily although there are quite <laughs> no. few um coyotes wandering around oh yeah um, um no I I, I have I have been to LA before actually um and it was yeah it's different to what I'm used to I literally live in the woods <laughs> in nature but I was I was I weirdly enough I was on a I was sucked into an Instagram wormhole the other day and I found this girl who lives out in I, I want to say it's like Topanga or somewhere oh yeah it's in the mountains yeah and it looked like paradise and I I was sort of like oh god this is where this is the sort of place I want to live Pro- possibly not in California just because it is literally the other side what's well, the, the furthest side uh, of america from the uk but i can imagine yeah my mum knows that yeah your mum your mum yeah. yeah i i know i know that feeling sort of like, we're moving from i've got countryside all around me at the moment to oh. yeah it's going to be different the city it will be <laughs> a, it'll be a lot there'll be lots of lessons there lots, lots of, of adventures like, i think that's what yeah. that's what i'm looking at it as and I'll, I'll definitely be back here a lot anyway Oh yeah, um, oh, it'll be amazing. Such an adventure, exciting. Yeah, and we, and we obviously we welcome anyone coming out and staying with us as well. Oh. But anyway, um, so I'm gonna put everything that people need on the show notes in terms of where to find you, where to follow you. I really, really, really do recommend that people follow Sophie because your work is absolutely gorgeous, stunning, oh, and you. I mean. I, I was really lucky a few years ago. I went to Zambia and went to a conservation reserve with, but then going and seeing elephants and, and giraffes and, oh, just, you just think these creatures have so much magic and the world they live in is so important to the world we live in. Yeah. So thank you for doing what you do. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think people don't realise how connected we all are on the planet. I think it's very easy when you live in sort of the UK or parts of America, places in the Western world where we're so sheltered from, um, first of all, sheltered from the sort of immediate impact of climate change and also sheltered from the sort of degradation of the ecosystem. You know, it's, it's hard to sort of it's hard to really understand the impact of species dying out and sort of like the sixth mass extinction when we live in the UK, for example, where, you know, we've got owls and foxes and badgers and bunny rabbits running around and we're just, you know, like la 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 doing our thing. And then meanwhile, you know, there's the species all over the world are literally just going extinct at ridiculous, you know, ridiculous speeds and it can be really difficult to kind of put the two together. Um, and I think, sadly, we probably will see more of the effects of climate change and uh, the sort of degradation of the ecosystem in the Western world a little bit more, I think. But, um, yeah, it's it's important. You know, some people won't be able to go out on safari or sort of like go on expeditions and stuff like that. And so you were able to do that. And therefore, for you, you feel like you've built up a connection with those animals and with nature. And for people that that can't do that, I would hope that my artwork would sort of do that a little bit 
instead um if it can and and there's loads of uh artists and photographers and videographers and people that are doing you know the same thing and it's I think it's really important I think so I think it's massively massively important and you know I feel very privileged that we were able to go I think we need to be reminded as well because we do live in a bubble whether that's an urban world or whether that's just being in the UK where we don't necessarily have insight into what's going on in other places to the same degree but like you say you're, you're providing a window into that which is massively massively important oh thank you thank you so much thank you so so much so i've really enjoyed speaking to you really 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 appreciate your time and have enjoyed speaking to you thank oh, you no thank you so much thank you for having me and it was really it was really fun to to come on i will say bye-bye and um as i said Everything about you will be in the show notes so Amazing. people can. Thank you. Have a lovely Thanks. rest of the day. Thanks to my guest. Thanks to you for listening. If you want to find out more about me and my work, go to FionaMurden.com or my social media handle is also FionaMurden. If you enjoyed this, please do subscribe, review and tell your friends. It'd be a massive help. But for now, goodbye and I hope you have a great week.